This is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. existential listeners. My name is Jen and I'm one of the team members here at Existential. I just wanted to pop in here briefly and let you know that while Corey is on sabbatical, we are highlighting some of our favorite episodes from Existential Sunday and bringing them here to you on Existential Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome. Um, My name is Corey again. I'm a husband, father, speaker, writer, and I host a podcast called Existential. And this that you're watching right now is Existential Sunday, which is an extension of that podcast. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here to deconstruct with us, to decolonize with us. Uh, last week we had a guest, and this week we have another guest, another good friend of mine uh, who I'm a huge fan of. There are people often ask me, like, who do you listen to? Who influences you? Because I'm, I guess, because I'm so critical of like evangelicalism. And they're like, well, who do you listen to? And I'm like, well, uh, Linda Sarsour, Kathy Kong, and uh, a bunch of other folks. And Kathy Kong is on Existential Sunday with us live today. So uh, welcome to all of you. I want to welcome Kathy, who's an author, a yoga instructor, and just an all-around incredible person. Kathy, thanks for coming on uh, on uh, Existential Sunday today. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh <laughs> Just like everyone else, I think, you know, it's been a, it's been a year, right? Since the global pandemic was named as such. And, um, I am, I am actually going down memory lane. I pulled out my, uh, planner from last year, just realizing in the last week, like feeling it in my body, this kind of tension and a little bit of panic even as currently, you know, vaccines are being rolled out. Um, I got my first shot two weeks ago because I'm volu- I'm volunteering with our county um, efforts to do mass vaccinations. So, um, but then I realized, oh my gosh, it's been a year. <laughs> and <laughs> trying to think like, what were we doing a year ago? <laughs> and it was so strangely normal. Like we actually had a friend from out of town staying with us. Wow. In our home wow. a year ago. Wow. Um that's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. As we were like as the world was starting to shut down and we were watching other countries kind of just a bit ahead of the pandemic. And so I've been thinking a lot about what the next few days are like, because I remember, I remember a week from now, a year ago, I was supposed to work um, our local elections as a election judge and um, was feeling all sorts because the then president had used a racist term about, you know, referring to COVID-19 and suddenly the panic 
around the virus, knowing all of the stories coming out around its origins in China, we're feeling all the more real. Mm. And now here we are a year out with anti-Asian violence happening. And I, can, I mean, I'm still like my heart is, if you could see it, it's, I feel like I'm feeling it in my body, even as I'm talking about it right now. So mm. that's how I'm doing. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, when you bring up like that, it's been a year, hmm. I was looking at like um, Snapchat this morning, some memories and mm -hmm. going back to like, when I, when the pandemic first started, I was trying all these things to cope with the reality that there was nothing to do. Like, like yeah. when it first started here in the Bay yeah. Area, it was really locked down. Like there was no golf. There was no, it was just basically only essential things open. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I would take a walk. I would come home. You know, we stocked our house with food and toilet paper and all those other kinds of things that people were out trying to do. And, and I felt all of that all over again. So funny you say mm -hmm. that about in your body because as I watched that video, me playing guitar, I was like, "Oh, like I, I've I've felt that again," and I can't imagine feeling again the weight of of being a part of the group of people that are blamed mm -hmm. for the fact that the entire world is in a pandemic and having that rhetoric repeated over and over and over again. And right. from what I understand, from that time till now is where we trace back this this rise in violence towards Asian Americans. Like, and I, I have on purpose, like not come on existential Sunday and been like talking about it because I don't feel mm -hmm. like it's my place. I feel like I want to make space for folks like you who I have mm -hmm. learned from, who I've watched talk about this. So I just want to give you the floor to like really like talk to us about what's happening and, mm -hmm. and what our posture should be as people who, you know, are, are wanting to contend for a better world and decolonize our worldview. Like how, how should we be talking about and engaging in what's happening in that community right now? Sure. Well, and it's tricky too, because I am not currently in an Asian American community, so to speak, right? So I don't attend an Asian American church. I live in a fairly white suburb um, and I have no cultural or like family ties to Chinatown, the Bay Area, or Chinatown, New York City. Um, and so in some respects, it can feel, I can feel really detached from that. And I have friends who have roots in those communities who know those streets and saw video and went, oh, I know where that happened. I know that street. And yet the tricky part of it is to figure out, okay, well, I knew once the temp, the pandemic had been kind of announced as official and all of the stories and trying to parse out what was real and what was lies mm -hmm. um, around the origins and how it, you know, how it came and went to different countries. Um, I just remember knowing that my Asian American friends and I immediately were on text threads going, this isn't good. Mm -hmm this is bad. This is going to be hard and hard because it wasn't new. It just was the newest iteration of anti-Asian racism. Mm. It, it, 
but it it doesn't always catch the news or it doesn't always get reported and um and our sometimes our communities don't want to report it don't want to talk about it for all of the reasons why it might perpetuate the violence um, why our communities don't feel safe going to the police or to uh, the government or um, making this into something that isn't handled um, within our community. So there, there are a lot of reasons, social reasons, socioeconomic reasons, um, cultural reasons. But I distinctly remember when COVID-19 first popped up, it was you know, the, the messages and conversations, even with my husband of like, this is not, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And calling my parents and telling them like, can you not take your daily walks? Um, or can you let us know when you're out on your daily walks? I mean, this was a year ago. This isn't, you know, just recently, this was a year ago. And then um, you know, conversations around mask mandates and what that was going to look like. And should they wear a mask? Shouldn't they wear a mask, right? Like, what will people think when you see an older Asian American or Asian couple wearing a mask? What does that signal? Will that make people assume that they're sick or that they know something, right? So it just, all of those levels happening way before this current um, wave or understanding that something is happening in the Asian American community. And, and a year ago, I made the call to um, call the county clerk's office and say, you know, I do not feel comfortable being an election judge mm. right now. Um, one, because at that time there was no mask mandate, right? So the, the message was anyone could vote anyone could come inside the polling place with or without a mask and cast their vote. Okay, awesome. I'm I'm for everyone having their vote and their opportunity to vote, but we're now in a global pandemic and I have we all had questions around that and I know that being assigned to my home um precinct is I will be the only person of color as an election judge. And I happen to be Asian American, while by that time, the president of the United States has called this a racist term. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. There are other people who need to volunteer <laughs> and be an election judge. I'm not going to do that. And, um, and so here we are now, and there have been multiple public um, instances of um, violence against Asian Americans, and not just our elders, which is what was initially being reported. And for our community, that, I mean, that's multiple levels of anger and pain. Um, in our communities and in our culture, our elders are respected. And they are held up and they are the reasons why we have opportunities, why we have culture, why we have life. Um, we uh, are told, you know, 
You don't sit down until our elders are seated. You don't eat until the elders have eaten. We serve our elders first. We greet our elders first. That's all part of our culture, which is not part of the American Western culture, right? right? right. And so to see this violence happening to our elders struck a nerve and a place of pain, mm. Um and a place of, I think, for some of us, some shame and having to kind of reconcile with how we have felt as more of the Asian Americans, right? So my parents don't consider themselves Asian American. They consider themselves immigrants. They are Korean. They may have citizenship, but they don't call themselves Asian Americans. And so I know for me and for others, there is a, a point of reckoning of you know, dealing with some of the childhood or even in young adulthood, the feeling of trying to um, come to our own, what does it mean to be Asian American? What have we been ashamed of in our elders and in that culture? And now to see them being physically attacked, shoved and, you know, pushed really to their death in a lot of instances and injured um, and then to see, you know, that perpetuated in other spaces, like the Uber driver, I think that just happened recently. And I just saw a clip of it and then shut it off. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I don't need to hear it. I don't need to see it because I've been the recipient. I've been on the receiving end of that kind of verbal abuse all through my life. And I think it is a little hard knowing that that's the story for many of us as Asian Americans. It's just now, right now being highlighted um, because there are repetitive or repeated incidents in different spaces. Um, I don't know. Like right now, I'm just feeling all sorts in my body. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can only imagine, right? I mean, I think to... Well, I, I shouldn't even say I can only imagine because I, I, I have felt it. Um, yeah. You know, we, we and, w- and that's what's, what I'm feeling right now is interesting because I, I feel this tension of mm-hmm. like giving space to um, our brothers and sisters from the Asian American community who mm-hmm. like are feeling this right now and not making it not like doing the like, well, we also have trauma in the black. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. if, you go, if someone's, someone's, you know, relative has recently passed away and you're at the funeral, you like, you don't want to make it about you. <laughs> you know right, what I'm saying? Right. So, like, so I feel that tension while at the same time, knowing that in the United States, the trauma that all of us as people of color feel is never on a break. It's constant. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while it may like for a moment, like, escalate over here it's still steady over here and it may escalate steady and so like at times I'll often I'll feel like this like um where should our attention be you know what I'm saying yes and I think there are forces out there sometimes that try to even pit the the ethnicities against each other Mm -hmm. oh absolutely absolutely and you know that that has been part of the conversation of this recent um, wave, if you want to call it, or the uptick, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, increased reporting of the mm-hmm. anti-Asian American um, violence and racism. 
uh, is that sometimes some of these um, acts of violence have been uh, committed by other people of color, right? And and that's where it gets so tricky, right? Is the pitting against each other while still talking about the realities that our communities are facing that force or try to force that pitting against each other? And then what are the actual realities of how our communities are existing alongside of each other or pushing into each other, right? Without it devolving into, yeah. right? Into something that's <laughs> that goes away from the reality which is like you said, you said it so well, right? Like it's always at this. It just happens that every now and then, right? Something happens to me or you or your family or my family. And for the last couple of weeks, there just have been these incidents where quite frankly, I don't think it's new. Mm. I just think that lately cameras have been on, mm. but you know, stand Bystanders are filming, um, you know, in the case of the Uber driver, he had his own phone on, right? So I feel like there's something about that. And we're hitting a year into this pandemic and we are all freaking tired. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, one of, one of the things I've seen you you do recently, and, and I thought that this was, um, it's consistent with, you, with how you always show up in the world, but I thought it was mm -hmm. maybe this time your way of really pushing back against, you know, the anti-Asian um, sentiment. When mm -hmm. I, I didn't watch the Golden Globes, I didn't even know, I didn't even know they were on, but I mm -hmm. saw that you were doing Instagram video where you were you were talking about how to pronounce the yes movie that one movie mm -hmm. yeah so was that and if it wasn't it's fine but was that like is, is does that feel to you like part of like what you can do in yeah. response oh yeah absolutely absolutely and it was so interesting because I got so many DMs about that <laughs> um, and you know I. <laughs> I looked back at it and then I self-critiqued like, gosh, did I, I looked kind of angry in the still that shows up. Right. So then there's all of yeah, that of like, angry. right. <laughs> like, Oh, I should have been smiling more and I should have been more winsome and like kind of made people laugh along. And then I thought, what? again, it's this whole, like my existence is to make other people comfortable mm. when I am still wrestling with this space that I occupy. Um, and yeah, so that little video of me helping people learn how to pronounce Minari, Minari, it's not Minari, which again has been, uh, it, it's been pronounced that way by like uh, the, the child actor. And I can't remember his name for the life of me, but his delightful and moving acceptance speech for the, the, the people's choice awards, or I didn't follow that award ceremony, but there's this little clip of him just like sobbing and like, is this a dream? Mm. And my response is, it is a dream. It's, mm. it's the, um, it's the, it's the reality of a dream that so many of us have had mm. for 
him and for all of us, right? And I made that video in part because people were talking about the movie and wanting to make connections with all of their cultural uh, touch points. And I wanted to remind people that Mm. Um, it is also a, specifically a Korean American immigrant story as mm. well as a universal story. And that in that, there is a lot of pain and a lot of loss to the point where I literally called my parents up because I thought maybe I was mispronouncing Minari, right? So I am not completely fluent in Korean. I was born in Korea, came when I was eight months old, but I only spoke Korean until I went into kindergarten. And so I have this kind of mental muscle memory kind of thing around the language. So I called my mom up and I said, mom, there's this movie. And she's like, yeah, I know. Minari. And I was like, is that how you pronounce it? Are you sure? Because I keep hearing other Koreans and Korean Americans and, and non Koreans pronouncing it in all of these other ways. And she's like, no, Kyunga, it's Minari. And I thought that's that's part of the, the, the feeling is that even my, what is supposed to be my mother tongue is erased. Mm. And while I firmly hold on to that identity as Asian American, there was also this moment of um, because we are the same, that is why a year ago when this pandemic happened, I was afraid. Mm. And that is why when these instances of violence are happening in Chinatown, where I and my family have no connection to, I'm afraid. Um, and then I was angry at some of the like, well, you know, why are you correcting us? And what do you, you know, what are you going to say to the Korean Americans or even the actors in the movie who are mispronouncing the name? And I'm like, oh, so now I get to tell everybody how to do this? <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't know I had that power. Cool. Right. So it, a, a lot of mixed feelings of anger and pain and confusion around this time where I still am like, it is not safe. It's not, it's not safe. I can hear um, like the pain as you talk about it, it even mm -hmm. probably more so than, I mean, we've talked now a couple of times in the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. just, talking and I've not heard this amount of grief in your voice before mm -hmm. um, and you wrote a book called raise your voice mm -hmm. and and I think what I'm hearing right now is you doing that through grief mm -hmm. right? um and I think it's a gift to us right and, and I feel that right now I feel like that you, you really offered a gift to us by like saying I'm going to speak and I'm going to raise my voice through the grief. Even in that video you were doing, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, raising your voice. When you, when we talked about it on the podcast, but there's folks that watch Existential Sunday that maybe haven't listened to the podcast. That book, was that book equal parts from the identity of being Korean and a woman? Yes. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> so can you talk to us about like about raising your voice from that place, like that that being here in the United States in Western evangelical Malou, as, yeah. as raising your voice in, in the midst of that? Well, I mean, when I think about it, I think, okay. <laughs> There have been a couple stories lately also about um, women, and I think specifically women of color, like, oh, they didn't hit this mark in their career until they're this age, right? So don't worry. You're in your 20s and 30s. Don't worry. You've you've got this. And I thought I was in my late 40s when that book came out, right? And and I keep thinking, if I were a man, I would have written that book in my 20s. <laughs> I would have been 20-something and been like, I have this book idea, and so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and um, and quite frankly, if I were a white woman, I probably would have written that book in my early 30s and been like, yes, speak your truth and name your reality and you know all of this kind of stuff. Um, and so even kind of the story, the backstory of writing a book proposal is about finally raising my voice is that mm -hmm. sense of uh, who gets to be an expert wow. and what do they have to do to be an expert in that area. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was even as I wrote that proposal and then finally the book, it was, I have been doing this thing. My entire life mm -hmm. is trying to, figure out how loud I can be or how um, present or fully me I can be, how um, acceptable is my English or my Korean or um, uh, how threatening, which is so interesting, right? Because the stereotypes around Asian Americans and Asian American women can be like, oh, we are so mm, quiet or we're like dragon lady. And right. So, and you know, cause you're a black man, right? So you're just scary. You, you're maybe you're cute, like until you're five and then you're just scary as hell. Right. So it's this jump from like, I am this docile, like, right. Like love you long time, kind of whatever. And then I'm like dragon lady. Um, and so, yes, that book is absolutely written as a Korean American, Asian American woman. Um, and my friend Barney Lynn is the one who talked about like modulating, mm. modulating our anger, modulating our grief and feeling like that is, that is the life of people of color across the board, mm. across the board. Mm. And I think for particularly for women and women of color, modulating um, our physical presence because we're either a threat or we are threatened. Hmm. Um, you know, the cat calls, the, oh, you should smile. Why aren't you smiling? Um, and that still happens on a, that, on a daily basis, right? So that book is written very much from that space. And I think the hard thing is then people will look at it and go, well, that's not for me. And my pushback to that is always, well, okay, well, what about all of those leadership books by white men? They are most definitely written from that space of a white man. 
we just think that somehow they have like the universal language of leadership. And, and I think that's why we're so freaking tired, Corey, <laughs> because we're reading this stuff and we're always contextualizing it. Or yes. maybe we don't read that stuff anymore because I don't, but yeah. other people do. And they go, oh, have you read this book? No. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole ass thing that, <laughs> like, that like creates this 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 normativity for leadership mm -hmm. euro based yeah so, like no one else's lived experience no one else's culture no mm -hmm. one else's the way of, of seeing the world and moving mm -hmm. throughout the world is a valid source for leadership instruction mm -hmm. it's like we may like check into it for like black history month or women's history month or international women's right. day we'll check into those things but like ultimately when we want to get serious, yes, we hear from a white man, right? Like, right. It's, I, mean, it, it's, I love that you name that. I love that you name it. I love that you talk about it in the book. Um, um, thanks so much for taking this time with us. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I know pe people never want me to wrap the conversation now. They want me to just keep going and going and going. But uh, you know, maybe, 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 maybe leaving you wanting more is the best I can do for you. So, folks that are watching, thank you so much. Um, you can pick up Kathy's book and we'll put uh, someone, someone probably already is, I'm not looking at the chat, but somebody probably already has put a link in the chat to that book. I guess just don't use Amazon. Apparently we're not using Amazon right now. So um, some other link for the book or you can buy the hard copy, whatever you want to do. I don't, I, but yep. make sure you get the book. It's amazing. Kathy, thanks so much. Thank you, Corey. Grace and peace to all of you until next time.